Hello, handsomes, and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Christiana, and you are extremely handsome. Let's get this show on the road. Personally Speaking is a storytelling show recorded live in my living room in East Hollywood, California. I invite my friends, comics, and storytellers that are local to the area, or not, in some cases, and invite them to tell true stories from their life. It's a pretty good time. This month's edition is particularly special. We're pulling something from the Personally Speaking vault. We're going to time travel all the way back to November of 2015, and we're bringing to you an edition called Dear Diary. A while back, Audrey Rosenberg, friend of the show and storytelling favorite, brought in a diary entry to help tell her story, and it was so freaking funny. We lost our minds. I immediately thought we've got to do an entire show around this. So Dear Diary, for Personally Speaking, is based around that idea. Our storytellers for this month are Brandon Burkhart, Debbie Friedman, Zach Heltzel, Yelena Litvak, Armando Martinez-Sellis, Michael Schatz, and Whitmer Thomas. Whitmer's story is one of my favorites that we've ever had on the show, so it's a real treat, and please listen to the end. Personally Speaking now has a Twitter account. Yes, it's true. You can find us being obnoxious, dramatic, and intensely beautiful over at It's Personal Now. I-T-S-P-E-R-S-O-N-A-L-N-O-W. Check that out. I know how to spell. Head over there for regular updates and posts of wit. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. See you guys next month. How y'all doing tonight? <laughs> the only acceptable response is woo. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar. Tonight's theme for personally speaking, because we do a monthly theme, which I pay attention to with pathological detail, is Dear Diary. This was inspired by one of last month's most popular speakers, Audrey Rosenberg, who brought in an old diary entry of hers in which she explained that when she was 15... She told her first female partner that you don't know what an orgasm is because you haven't been with a real woman <laughs> when she was 15. Um, and that was her introduction to sexual experience. So that was fantastic. And I said, oh, yes, we definitely need to do an entire show that is dedicated to diary entries. So tonight you will see quite a few different interesting perspectives, not necessarily current perspectives, but interesting perspectives. And then, most importantly, I think you're just going to see some people bear their 15-year-old souls, their 16-year-old souls, and their whole souls. So, the first comic slash storyteller that we have coming to the stage is not a friend of mine until tonight, but I will bring him lovingly into my heart and into the fold. His name. Give it up. Brandon Burkhardt, everybody. Coming to the stage. here in the fold. It's warm and cozy. And Gia's here. So now it's even better. Uh, so the theme forced me to go into my deep, dark high school journal. I knew I was awkward uh, as a teenager. I didn't know I was a terrible asshole and creepy motherfucker. <laughs> I really learned to hate myself. I want to go back in time 
to punch myself in the face, in, the, in my 15-year-old face. Because, wow, wow. I was thinking of a socially awkward. Oh, my God. I was like a little sociopath. I didn't have a kiss till I was 17. Didn't my virginity until I was uh, almost 21. I was a junior in college. Most of you guys are probably juniors in high school by the time you rode the flesh bus, but I was way behind. Um, so I kind of knew that I was awkward, but now I really miss, I know why I should still be a virgin, according to how I was in this friggin' journal. Uh, so I have a couple of selections for you um, that I haven't looked at these things in like 20 years, and oh my God, it's terrible. So I'll just start off with just painting a picture of how terrible I was. This was when I was a sophomore, 1988, if you want to do the math. I graduated in 1990, probably before you guys, some of you guys were born. Class of 1990, uh, John Marshall High School, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so this was, I made a list of my favorite activities of the last year. This is summing up my sophomore year of high school. This is so bad. Favorite activities of the last year. I didn't edit this at all. Um, try to get the right angle to look up Susan's miniskirt. <laughs> that is number one. Let's <laughs> penalize this poor young man. Uh, I don't dig out of this myself out of this ditch at all. Uh, number two, stare at Kelly. <laughs> Uh, number three, neck drawing from Lila. This girl used to draw on my neck who sat behind me. She'd draw little, like, cats and, like, a dog smoking a cigar. And that was the most erotic thing I've ever had in my life. It was a girl with a pen doodling on my neck. And I'm like, I'm never watch my neck ever again. So neck drawing from Lila. Uh, talk to Kathy G or L. I guess there were two Kathys. <laughs> Uh, heckle Mrs. Ruth. That was my English teacher. Um, I was really upset with her. She was like a stuffy older lady. I was in like I was an honors English class, not to brag. And we had to profile an American author, and I wanted to write about my favorite writer, Stephen King. And she said, "No, I could not choose him as a great American author." I'm like, "Well, he's amazing." She's like, "He's a pop fiction writer." So I hated her for that. <laughs> no Stephen King fans here in the house? Come on. Thank you. He's a real writer. Uh, paper fights in history. I don't know what paper fights were. Uh, sports with Jeremy, Mark, and Jordan. Uh, political humor with Jordan. That was just banter. Uh, write songs in chemistry. And I, I made a D in chemistry because I was writing songs <laughs> during chemistry. Uh, which were terrible, terrible songs about what would it be like if I talked to a girl? I'll never know. <laughs> I swear those are my songs. I wrote like 50 of those songs. I wrote songs about calling girls and hanging up when they said hello. Do you guys remember like pre-internet? Your, your phone was prank calls. You'd, you'd, and we had an actual phone book. It wasn't like Facebook. It was an actual phone book. And I'd find a girl's phone number and I'd call her and she'd be like, Hi, I'm like, oh, and I hang up. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so exciting. I, she said hello to me and I hung up. Um, discuss various topics with various people in study hall. And the final thing, the final thing on my list of favorite things to do in the last year was try to get the right angle to look up Susan's miniskirt. 
And then I wrote in parentheses, perverted teenage behavior I can't help. I should have found a way to help it. Uh, okay, so uh, October 6th, this is during my junior year. Um, I'm going to read one thing here and then relate to today. Um, just when I was sure I had forgotten her, Kelly Sullivan has started haunting me again. <laughs> it is so frustrating. Last year I had her in two classes and her locker was below mine. <laughs> I had so many plans of ways to get to know her, yet I was too scared to carry them out. At first I tried talking to her then I decided I sounded stupid, so I gave up. <laughs> the lesson here for you kids, if at first you don't succeed, always give up. <laughs> because you're going to sound stupid. <laughs> I kept telling myself I would write her a song or a poem or a note and stick it in her locker, but I never did. Not until the last day of school, when I wrote her a dumb note and stuck it in her locker. I was too scared to sign my name. <laughs> Super effective saying, someone likes you. Ooh, this is, is going to work. This is before the secret. I could have written, written the secret before it became a thing. Like, universe, manifest this for me. I'm a chicken shit. I can't say my own name. <laughs> so uh, then I really did forget about her over the summer. But now when I see her, it's worse. Then worse than ever, in my mind, no other girl compares to her. Sorry, ladies. This is 25 years ago, but sorry, ladies. Uh, nothing compares to Kelly Sullivan. I can never feel as strong for another girl as I do for her. Yet I don't even know her. <laughs> that makes it sad. It seems that my life could never be complete without her. Something about her eyes and her smile puts me in a trance. <laughs> Lately, I've taken up following her whenever I had a chance. <laughs> I'm a little piece of shit stalker. She should get a restraining order. She's married with three kids now. She should get a restraining order against me now. Is um, that trance? When I wander around before school or after school and I see her, I follow her from a distance until I lose her in the crowd. <laughs> or until she runs for her life. <laughs> I think I have my locker? Holy shit. Uh, when, I, when I pass her in the hall, I watch her out of the corner of my eye. Probably wasn't that subtle. The strange part is that she doesn't seem to notice. <laughs> I'm like, a, I'm like a sad ninja. <laughs> Most people can figure out when they're being followed. <laughs> Devious. She has to be suspicious about the way I look at her at lunch. Or how I walk behind her down the halls in the morning. If she has noticed, she's doing a good job of hiding it. <laughs> Such a little actress. But I'm a little minks. Um, I'm very uncertain of what I should do. Cut it out, grow up, get some balls. I don't know. Uh, I'm very certain what I should do. 
I try to make things obvious, but not too obvious. <laughs> the moment to approach her just hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> Last night I had a dream about, dreamed that I was passing her in the hall when she stopped and started talking to me. When I woke up, I felt so good. <laughs> I pray that it comes true. Uh, I hate that guy! <laughs> uh, okay, so that was 1988. Um, the wrap-up to the story is, uh, you know, we're Facebook friends. Like, everyone from high school became Facebook friends. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm seen her and talk, or talked to her since... Well, I never talked to her, actually, but... <laughs> I haven't even dreamed talked to her in 27 years. But uh, we're Facebook friends, and um, I make a lot of funny jokes on Facebook, not to brag, but you should <laughs> people like my Facebook jokes. And I made one a few months ago, and a bunch of people saying, oh, I like the joke. And then Kelly Livingston Schumann uh. commented, father of her three kids, I guess. She commented, she liked my joke, and she said, Brandon, you're so funny. I wish I had gotten a chance to know you better in high school. Damn! Damn the God! 2015! 2015! My plan is working 27 years later. She's married with three kids. But to quote Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying I've got a chance. Burkhart coming up next to the stage will be Debbie Friedman, but I'll give her a moment. She's on deck. Uh, because I want to talk to you guys really briefly about something that, that uh, I, I'm sorry, but I have to say it came to mind when I was thinking of the Dear Diary theme. Uh, who here is familiar with, um, with the young entrepreneur Anne Frank? Raise your hand. <laughs> Raise your hands. Okay, you, okay, only half of you know who Anne Frank is. Okay, okay, half of you know who Anne Frank is. Okay, this is a girl whose diary was published after her death. Imagine if anyone here had their Tumblr, their blog, their diary published after their death. So, like, half of it is, like, porn gifs, okay? The other half is you being like, oh, my God, why doesn't he text me back? <laughs> uh, that fascinates me because there's there's basically, you know who, who gave the okay, by the way, to publish the journal was Anne Frank's dad. So think about your dad reading your diary, first of all. Second of all, ton of it was, was edited out. And guess what kind of content it was? Sexual! <laughs> and Frank was queer as fuck, y'all. <laughs> she was. She had, a lot of, she had a lot of feelings about naked girls that I certainly empathize with. Um, I, think it's, I think diaries are super important, and we should, we should respect the thoughts of, of young women, and maybe, maybe uh, if there was a way to ask 
we should probably wait before publishing. But, you know, if you, if you clear it with their dads, you know, <laughs> I'm sure if you cleared it with my Fox News sharing father, he'd be like, sure, you can publish your diary, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know if you guys endured the phenomenon of note passing in high school. Um, I, it's weird to think that like anybody who's like approximately like five years younger than us is like, what the fuck is that? Like you text them during class, but also you do on the school's Wi-Fi. Nonetheless, so you're not going to use up your data plan. Um, but I, when, when I was um, um, noticeably younger and, and less into alcohol, I. I definitely was caught passing a note during class by one Mr. Ham. Um, Mr. Ham caught me trying to pass a note to one Mr. Baker, who at the time I was aggressively chasing and who was uh, pretty, pretty into me. So, guys, I sent him a note that said, hey, um... You're pretty cute, and so am I. <laughs> and to his credit, to his credit, that is technically not verbatim, but it's pretty close. To his credit, he he intercepted this note and, like a true champ, unfolded it before the class, read it, was like, okay, this girl has some sexual desires. <laughs> Put it down on his desk, did not say anything except, you guys should uh, stay up to class. <laughs> and that was it. He did not read the note aloud. Very impressive move on the, on the part of an otherwise um, very, very lonely teacher. Um, but I, I, I think... I think the point being here, when there is some respect given to the words of young women, I respect that man. No matter what it, how, how much of a dingus he otherwise is. Coming up next to the stage is another new friend. Guys, you're going to love her. You're going to love her. You're going to love her hair. You're going to love her expressions. You're going to love her story. So open your hearts to Debbie Friedman. Bring it on. Let's go. Debbie Friedman, get up here. You have so much more game than I had. <laughs> Tell it to I got, old me. Oh man. Uh, no, I, I have to say when I got the um, the theme for tonight, I was super happy that my journal was still back in Rhode Island in my parents' house because <laughs> I did have a chance to look over that a couple years ago, and it is it's in no way fun. It is only humiliating and sad. <laughs> All it is is like like moaning and griping over like pages. They're like 200 pages of me bemoaning my single status, which only proves what like a sociopath I was because every boy who asked me out in high school, I was like, no thanks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, why am I so single? <laughs> and then the one, the one guy who asked me out and I was like, yes. Two days later, I was like, never mind. <laughs> Just horrible person. But what I could find was what the internet preserved, which was six, six years ago, which I wish I could say I was 15 six years ago, but I was firmly in my late 20s. Um, so these are adult posts. These are, <laughs> these are the workings from the mind of, a, of, a, of an adult. Uh, uh, <laughs> six years ago, I started a blog. 
And then about six months later, I stopped a blog. Uh, but they're still out there in the world. I had to Google it because I didn't even know where to find it myself. But you can. You can find it. Uh, I shared such gems as um, a blog post entitled 24-Hour Urine Analysis, <laughs> which is about exactly what it sounds. <laughs> you take a giant jug that's like the size of a Tropicana orange juice thing, and you fill it with pee. And, and I wrote like eight paragraphs about it. Uh, I, had a, I had a lengthy diatribe that I didn't bring in about uh, Amy Adams' Leap Year. Did anybody see that movie or even know what that movie is? I know what it is. That does not deserve a woo. You know, if anyone knows, the premise of this movie is so appalling to me that I, it was on the airplane and I was just raging for like two hours. The premise of the movie is that Amy Adams has to go to Ireland on leap day of leap year because only once every four years in Ireland is it socially acceptable for a woman to propose to her boyfriend. That's the promise of the movie. Otherwise, oh God, how embarrassing. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> and then the other one, I'm just, I'm just letting you guys all know what you're missing out on, what you didn't get to hear tonight. Uh, there was also a blog post about this time I allowed a shoplifter to just make off with what the woman who's working there called A Mad Load of Tresemme. <laughs> and I just, I just let him go because I was like, oh, I don't want him to push me. And, and then the woman who was working there, somebody else was like, why didn't you stop him? She's like, I didn't want to get pushed. And I was like, yeah, I feel you. She's like, last week, Janessa got pushed. <laughs> See, we know. We're like, go ahead. Take your tresemme. <laughs> you probably need it for your hair. Um, this blog post, again, I thought it was fitting since it's from uh, Saturday, November 21st of 2009. Uh, the blog post is entitled Overeating. <laughs> this is what I thought the internets needed to hear about. Uh, overeating. <laughs> I have a problem with it. <laughs> At least I try to eat healthy food. This, I'm reading this the way that I feel like I probably felt at the time I wrote it. <laughs> For example, I buy a thing of yogurt. <laughs> a, an adult wrote this. Uh, a thing of granola. We're talking brown cow, low fat, and some sort of fancy, organic -y, chunky granola full of nuts and fruits and fiber. Now you all know what I was eating. <laughs> and I will make myself a nice little portion, and I will eat it. And then I will go back for more and more and more until I've eaten an entire tub of yogurt and an entire package of granola. <laughs> and I will not only have consumed more food than I need in an entire day, and then in parentheses, oh, the woes of a five foot three woman, which is true, by the way. If you're short, the amount of food you're supposed to consume in a day is ridiculously small. It is. Yeah, right? And it's not fair. <laughs> Uh, but, oh, don't worry, I will continue to overshare. Uh, I will have also sent my GI tract on an intense fibrous adventure. <laughs> Internets want to know. I told my therapist this, and she says to me, you know what I do? I have a little bit of yogurt, a little bit of granola, a little bit of fresh fruit, and that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> oh, that's it, huh? Congratulations! You don't have an eating disorder! Is that what you say to your alcoholic patients? Oh, you know what I do when I go to the bar? I go out, I have a nice little vodka soda, and that's it. <laughs> and then I'm done. <laughs> 
is that what you tell your suicidal patients? You know what? I just wake up every morning and I'm so glad to be alive. <laughs> just feel so happy. Oh, you do? I'm putting the razor down right now. <laughs> to her credit, to her credit, I did give her this. <laughs> she did undergo major heart surgery. <laughs> and then she dropped a knife on her foot. And then she was also hopped up on pain medication. <laughs> but still. <laughs> I am always thinking about food. <laughs> I have been trying to explain this to my boyfriend for two years, that I completely understand his addiction to cigarettes, but he can quit cold turkey. I have to eat. <laughs> I read a book on addictive eating, which by the way was actually really fabulous. It's called The End of Overeating by David Kessler. If you have a problem like this, <laughs> read it. I don't know. Uh, although he's very careful to say that he is not comparing sugary, fatty, salty goodness to crack. He's basically comparing sugary, fatty, salty goodness to crack. The book is part science, part love ode to Cinnabon. But it is interesting if you happen to be this particular type of overeater. I am sure it's genetic. My sister has the same problem. She called me one night after she had torn the protective labels off of her roommate's chocolate cake. My sister's name is Rebecca, by the way. These labels said things like, Rebecca, do not eat me. <laughs> Rebecca, this is Charlotte, do not eat. Yeah. <laughs> My sister, by the way, is three years older than I am. <laughs> she was firmly in her 30s. Uh, whatever you do, by no means open this box. We will cease to be friends. <laughs> but she dove in like a starved animal, chocolate everywhere. She called me, begging me to stop her. And all I said was, I guess you should stop. <laughs> well, don't worry. I got my comeuppance. She came over one night under the pretense of wanting to bond. We baked several dozen chocolate chip cookies. Then she decided to bolt before they even came out of the oven, leaving me alone with 36 freshly baked goods, yeah. which I ate <laughs> all of. Yeah. Posted by the other Debbie Friedman at 6.31 p.m. No comments. <laughs> Keep it going for Debbie Friedman, y'all. Uh, what a gift. What a gift. Such a gift is this. I don't know if any of you guys have seen Funny Girl, if that matters at all to you, but I hope so. Um... Coming up next to the stage will be your friend, Zach Heltzel, who has a Twitter account that is called at Zach Heltzel, and um, a podcast called um, A Much Better Name Than That, which is Zetus La Podcast. If you are familiar by any chance with the phenomenon known as Disney Channel Original Movies, <laughs> if you're not, first of all, how dare you? Uh, second of all, you've got a lot of catching up to do. Disney Channel Original Movies are similar to Lifetime movies in that they are completely useless and yet 
deeply necessary. Um, he runs a podcast, which is an oral history chronologically of every single Disney Channel original movie. I'm not talking about this whatsoever because I've been on the funniest episode by far. Um, coming up next to the stage is your problematic fave, Zach Keltzel. Give it up. Domo arigato, dude bros. Uh, my name is Zach. I hail from Phoenix, Arizona. I drove in approximately 380 miles for this little shindig. So, uh, do not cheer for Phoenix, Arizona. That garbage dump of a city does not deserve your praise. As I was driving in from Phoenix, uh, you may have seen this online, you may have not. Um, on all of the digital signs they put on for the Thanksgiving weekend, a sign that says, Drinking and driving go together like peas and guac. <laughs> I swear to God, that is their PSA to tell people to not drink and drive. Now, you can see that this is obviously problematic because this originated about a month or two ago in a New York Times article that says that peas and guac do indeed go together. So as far as the state of Arizona is concerned, drunk driving is a completely okay thing. And lucky for me, that fits right in line with my um, diary entry from August 14th, 2015. That is the day The Man from Uncle came out. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but a British Henry Cavill plays an American, and an American Army Hammer plays a Russian. It is fucking infuriating. And... Before I get into this diary entry, and before I tell you what the title of it would be if it were a think piece, I just want to know that on the drive from Phoenix to Los Angeles, the 380 miles it takes from my door to this um, home, I have to drive by the Perryville Prison, and I note this because my um, OTP, Jody Arias, lives there. And it makes me love this drive more than anything in the world. Because I love her and I get to just like wait outside her house until justice is done and she can run into my arms. But this time was different because on the drive, and I almost died trying to get a picture of this and I couldn't, uh, there was this 1994, I know it was that year because my mom had the same car, Nissan Quest that was decked head to toe in anti-Obama bumper stickers. <laughs> Not just on the bumper, but on the doors, on the hood, on the windows. But wait, there's more. The entire bumper of this car, do you remember when you were a kid and your parents, to like let you have more fun on the refrigerator or something, had all of those lime green and pink little magnet letters that you could write things on? Yeah. There was a 
fucking essay on the back of this van about how President Obama something's Obama, not Obama. They wrote Obama. Something, something, something. I couldn't read it. I was driving 85 miles per hour. All I saw was the last three words that said, wake up sheeple. And I just really, I just really wanted to stop this car and tell them that Obama's not their problem. Their problem is that they drive a 1994 Nissan Quest. And before I get into this diary entry, I swear to God, you guys are not going to believe this. This is like, you know that story where Bill Murray like came into your house party and said, no one will believe you? My story is really that. And I just, you guys will, in about 30 seconds, you'll know. But before I go on, um, I told this to our host, Christiana Morganroth. And she told me that I seem like a bumper sticker person. And I told her that there's absolutely no bumper sticker I could possibly have that would not convince a wide swath of the population to try to murder me. Like, the opposite of, like, a baby on board sign, except people would actually try to murder you rather than not, like... They see that sticker and they go, I was going to T-bone your car, but now I'm not. There's a baby on board. <laughs> like, nobody... People are going to try to kill me if I, like, have the bumper stickers I would really want. Like, abortion is kawaii. <laughs> Wonderful bumper sticker. I cannot do it. I do not have the balls. But I do have the balls for the thing that I did on the day the man from Uncle came out. I write very long diary entries, so I won't read the whole thing. I'll just kind of summarize. But I will read verbatim the first five words. (laughs) August 14th, 2015. I stole a car today. (laughs) So... I have to start at the beginning of this story. There was this party. It was a birthday party. It was the 23rd birthday party for my friend Andrea. And when I say friend, I mean like acquaintance, like very loose acquaintance. This was somebody that I like wouldn't have gone to their birthday party, but they invited me to their watch party of Vanderpump Rules. (laughs) And... I didn't know who Lisa Vanderpump was at the time. I thought a Vanderpump was some product that I didn't know anything about, and it was going to be like a multi-level marketing scheme. Like, they're going to try to get me to sell knives or body wraps or whatever the fuck a Vanderpump is. And I didn't go. And then they were so upset that I didn't go that I was like, fine, I will go to your party. It'll be fine. This will be a fun time, I guess. Maybe. So their party, they were going to meet at this casino, and then we were going to take a van and Uber down to the bar district of Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are just going to have a fun, innocuous time. Well, that did not happen that way. Yada, yada, yada. I stole a car that night. (laughs) So after like three hours of um, being the only male, she invited an equal amount of men and women to her party. I was the only guy who came. Everyone else was uh, a woman who, for like three hours in the hotel room, they were getting ready and like talking about their divorces. And I was like, you guys are 23. What the fuck is going on? (laughs) 
I am a child. You guys have all grown up. I am still 16-year-old me, except I can legally drink now, and that's kind of fucked up. And uh, finally, we go out, and we get into this van, and at that point, only uh, one other person was there, and it was um, the one girl in the group who was kind of fancying a little bit, because she's like an Ashkenazi Jew who's secular and has a crazy family, just like totally the thing that I am into, and uh, I find out that she has a boyfriend, and I meet that boyfriend, and he didn't know that I knew her, but he knew me from the internet. And he said, and I quote, your tweets are really funny, but I don't really care for your podcast. (laughs) And at that point, I literally said out loud and did like an exaggerated sitcom shrug. How could this possibly get any worse? (laughs) So then we end up in Old Town Scottsdale and we end up at this bar called El Jefe, a super macho taqueria. That is what it says on the sign. It is decorated entirely by sugar skulls. And I find out that when I was in eighth grade, I uh, babysat this uh, fourth grader who lived on my block. And um, her nickname for me, I don't want to say it because it's horrifying and I was horrified then. I'm just going to say that it rhymes with Migger Dussy. <laughs> right. Yeah, right? Right? She would be 18 now. She was a table dancer at the first bar we go to. And I am not emotionally prepared for this at all. So I decide I need to like double fist vodka Red Bulls rather than just pacing myself throughout the evening. I need to get trashed. This needs to go terribly wrong. And boy, did it. Because before I get to the main event of this story, let me tell you about two days prior. I purchased a 2014 Nissan Versa Note from a car dealership in Phoenix. I call it the fuck wagon (laughs) because it is a hatchback and I need to justify... Like, having it as part of my identity, because I never considered myself a hatchback person, so it is the fuck wagon. That is what it is. Nobody tell me different. And they said it was supposed to come with two sets of keys. It came with one key, and they had no idea what happened to the other key. I thought this was a completely innocuous thing, and I just decided... To go with it and buy the car with one key instead of two, I can get another key made. So I'm at this bar on my fourth vodka Red Bull. I am just starting to get tipsy as all hell. And I see a 2014 Nissan Versa Note fuck wagon <laughs> driving by. I'm on the patio of this bar. And I think, oh, that's a fairly common looking car. That's not a big deal. And then I see the license plate, which is burned into my memory, much like the license plate in the movie MacGruber. It is BPH0279. And it was very familiar because it was literally my license plate. (laughs) It was my fucking car that I had parked three miles away at a casino from the bar district, wondering... And then I'm just there going... How is that possible? So I storm 
out of that bar and follow from a comfortable distance. Just comfortable enough to where the people inside won't be able to see me. But I'm also running with my phone in hand, Googling what to do when you find your stolen car. (laughs) And let's just say that Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the founders of Google, are not very helpful in this instance. Turns out this is not something that happens very often. And whatever. So, the one thing it does say is that do not be a vigilante, call the cops, don't do anything yourself. <laughs> Fuck that shit, Drunk Zach says. So he runs into the parking garage that they go in, but still keeps a comfortable distance and sees that these two portly Persian men walk out. I don't know who they are. I still don't know who they are. And at this point, I'm still trying to believe that it is not me, it is not my car. Um, So I wait till they leave the parking garage. I approach the car like this, trying to be sneaky, which makes me stand out like a crazy person. (laughs) And at this point, I'm still like, it's not my car, it's not my car, it's not my car. So I look through the window, and I see Taco Bell wrappers everywhere. It is definitely my car. So I um, pull out my keys, I press the unlock button, it unlocks. I sit inside, I put the key into the ignition, it turns on. And because I am both drunk, scared, and a horrible driver, it takes me about eight minutes to get out of this parking spot and out of the parking garage. And at this point I am drunk, I should not be driving, drunk driving is wrong. It's like peas and guac. (laughs) So I pull out of the parking garage. I know the area, so I pull into a back alley, hoping these people don't come back and like find me and murder me. And I call my parents, and I'm like, I had a little too much to drink. Nobody stole my car. Everything is fine. Nothing happened. Please come and get me. Tell me I'm a good boy. Let me like spoon my dog. Let my dog be big spoon this time. Just make everything okay. And my parents were like, okay, you're talking too much. You're drunk. Okay. And everything was fine. And that is how somebody stole my car and I stole it back. Zachary Heltzel. Uh, coming up next will be uh, I'm 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 so sorry, uh, Yelena Litvak. I'm so sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying. She'll be up next, and um, I I really don't have t- too much else to say in this in, in this particular instance, um, except that you're you're all so very good looking. Um, wow, it's it's really it's it's overpowering in its own way. Is anyone here, I know this is kind of a reach, has anyone here ever had sex? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 like raise your hands, show me, I need to know. Okay, five of you have had sex, that's chill. Okay, just wanted to know, thank you, there was no lead in, that was it, I just wanted to know. Coming up next! Take the stage, girl, you know it, she's coming up. Hand prank comment. 
About a year ago, my mom informed me that my dad used to sneak into my bedroom and read my journal when I wasn't home. And all this time, I just thought that he had this telepathic ability to know all the horrible things I was doing. When in fact, he was just reading my journal. So, it was really interesting when I was in high school because my sexual orientation really only went one way and that was David Bowie. Um, and when it really came down to it, I was grounded maybe every other week and my friend's nickname for my dad was Stalin. Um, and every time the weekend would roll around and we were about to go to show because we were dirty, filthy punk kids, they're like, well, is your dad going to let you out of the gulag this weekend? <laughs> so this is a journal entry from June 15th, 2004. <laughs> this has been the worst week ever. <laughs> it all started on Monday. <laughs> I was taking the bus home from school, and the 217 was running late. I don't know if any of you know the 217, but that's the one that runs at Fairfax. I went to Santa Monica High School, take the 7 to Fairfax and Pico, and then get on to the 217. Like always, the bus was late, and I could feel a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. I knew something was going on. I think I have a telepathic connection to Stalin. <laughs> I walked across the street to India Sweets and Spices. I think the guy there who works there is a pedophile. <laughs> he always gives me free samosas and tells me how pretty I am. And at this point, I'm not very pretty. I'm painfully awkward. I have really bad acne. And that day, my hair was very greasy and I looked like a small fat child. India's Sweets and Spices, I'd always wondered if they raided India's Sweets and Spices, would they just bust that guy for child porn in the back? But I ate my samosa. <laughs> they would probably find a hella amount of child porn. God, he's such a fucking creep. Uh, I really didn't want to go home. My parents are still remodeling the house and they're still using my room as their fucking living room. I hate it here. I can't wait to move across the country and only see my parents on holidays and special occasions like normal white people. <laughs> when I got home, the house was very still and silent. I said, hi, I'm home, but no one said anything. My mother looked at me and she had tears in her eyes and she stared, she waited to speak, and she's like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> you disgust me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what did they find out about? What did I do? <laughs> and then I hear my father's voice, and he calls me upstairs, Lianichka. I know that voice. When he says it really softly and uses my nickname, I know I'm fucked. <laughs> <sighs> then Stalin turned to me. <laughs> 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 
I tried to watch Austin Powers, and I went to your room, and I opened the DVD player, and that's the moment I knew. He opened up the DVD player, and my porn was in there. <laughs> Triple X, I love cock. <laughs> <laughs> you think by this point, he'd know what was up, but no. He decided to press play. <laughs> and for a good 30 minutes, he watched Pascal shove butt plugs up his ass and jack off into the camera. <laughs> he watched the whole thing. Sometimes, I think my father is a closeted homosexual. <laughs> he yelled at me for about an hour and told me I was a pervert. He made me tell him who gave that perversion to me. And I begged and I pleaded and I cried, but it was no use. He took all of my XY magazines. And if none of you know what XY magazines are, they're basically twink porn. Lots and lots and lots of twink porn, because that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> now, at this point, he tells me I disgust him. This wouldn't happen if I was a boy. He would have given me a pat on the shoulder and said, good job, son. <laughs> I'm 16. Doesn't he get that most of my friends are already having sex? At least this was only porn. I could have been fucking that Indian man for free samosas. <laughs> I could have been a drug addict. I could have had AIDS. He's so fucking crazy. It's just that, you know, it's kind of funny watching that kind of porn. I mean, it's hilarious. Pascal shoving butt plugs up his ass, and it's 30 minutes of pure entertainment, and I can't stop laughing. <laughs> the next day, Stalin parked his car and made me show him who gave me the DVD. I cried, and I begged for him to to not do this, to not do this, but he was screaming and his face was turning red and he walked up to Stephen Humphreys and he threw the DVD in his face and called him a sicko and told him to stop corrupting his daughter with his gay agenda. <laughs> Everyone was watching and laughing. I think I'm grounded again. <laughs> Now, how am I going to get my supply of twink porn now? Stephen won't talk to me. Two days later, I walked upstairs to my room. Then, when I went into the bathroom, my grandmother was sitting there on the toilet using the chicken scissors and cutting something up into the orange chicken bag. And I didn't know what she was cutting up until I stepped closer. She said, quick, Yelena, get inside and help me before your father finds out. <laughs> when I got inside, I saw the glittery blue dildo. <laughs> she had found it. I don't know how she found it. It was in my closet, zipped up in a duffel bag, wrapped up in tissue paper, but she found it. Oh yes, oh yes, my grandmother found my glittery blue dildo. 
And she turns and she looks at me and she's like, hurry up. We need to finish this before your father comes home. He can't see this. God, if I was you, I would have taken this and slapped whoever gave it to you across the face with it. (laughs) What she didn't know was that this was actually my birthday gift for my 16th birthday. It was sitting on top of a hot pink cake and we chased each other around during lunch, hitting each other and getting pink frosting everywhere. (laughs) I don't understand what the big deal is. Who cares? Oh, but no, I have to have a chastity belt and be a fragile lotus blossom. I get it. Until they marry me off to some smelly old Russian Jew that's a lawyer, doctor, and accountant. (laughs) I can't wait to go away to college and bring home a black Muslim girlfriend for Hanukkah. (laughs) Just to piss them off. And now, I'm sitting in my room fantasizing about David Bowie instead of at the Aquabat show. At least Scary Monsters and Super Creeps is a really good album. (laughs) Thank you. Storytellers left. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, we have two people left that are so so excited to come to the stage and blow your brains with their words. They're terribly excited. The first one of these is Michael Schatz, who I've known for an incredibly long time and who saved several film projects for me during film school um, when I was quote unquote finding myself. He is currently working on an Indiegogo feature that... uh, He's actually editing a feature, but he's also working on an Indiegogo project that was so successful that has now currently made the front page of Indiegogo and is actually able to keep earning money even though the project has ended, which I didn't even know was a thing. Guys, that's that's kind of impressive. Like, I didn't even know that Indiegogo could do that because all of my campaigns have ended so quickly. It's fine. Um... Coming up to the stage, guys, it's your fave, Michael Schatz. Get up here. Uh, I am sure enough going to have the weirdest story, just in the fact that mine's not about me as a young kid. Or this is actually just from two years ago, mm-hmm. and is what I was been referring to people who ask me what I'm talking about as a war journal. <laughs> Because I am a giant dork. So, it's April 1796. Napoleon is the leader of France. He has just started uh, his whole campaign. And uh, Austria and the United Kingdom are allied at, at the start of the Napoleonic Wars. And Napoleon has the initiative. Uh, it all starts with sneak peek into the Ottoman war room because the Ottomans were part of the Napoleonic Wars for some reason. <laughs> and this is through all of us. And um, the journal was created in, in together. And so it's a gif of Seinfeld uh, screwing around with Elaine. And that was my depiction of the Ottoman war room. And, uh, I told you this is the weirdest story. 
this is a board game. I'm sorry, I'm so confusing. Um, <laughs> this is a great board game called Napoleon in Europe. It's like Risk, but so many times better. And uh, all of us okay. together, this war journal, that's what this is. You're totally confused. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so I am the leader of the United Kingdom uh, forces, and I'm fighting for Queen Emma Watson. <laughs> because she is an angel. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm, this is going better than I thought, so now I'm confused. <laughs> I thought I was going to be sitting there going, what is he talking about? I was working with the Austrian forces to uh, fight France because fuck Napoleon. And my uh, good friend Paul was the uh, Prussian forces. And after a giant snowfall, the Russian forces that we were expecting was not going to help out. So I brokered a deal with the Prussians. And we started heading toward Napoleon. And those backstabbing fucking Austrians, I'm hoping no one here is Austrian. <laughs> those goddamn Austrians. Um, which, if you past ninth grade geography was a lot bigger at the time because it was the Austrian Empire. <laughs> so they actually have quite a bit of forces. Um, they backstabbed me. So the thing that the Austrians forgot was that uh, the British have always had a very good navy. So um, I blew up my fucking bridge and um, I depicted that with the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. It says, and I'm stuck here. So the Austrians were left in the dust during the, uh, the, all the snow. And I got into my boats, and I sailed all the way around fucking Europe. And I landed in their one port in Illyria. And uh, I unleashed Kira Knightley. This is all here. <laughs> <laughs> this picture is from King Arthur, where she's painted in blue body paint and is holding a bunch of swords. And uh, I screwed them over. And the Prussians decided to depict this. This says, currently the best-selling album in Prussian history. So good that it's still listened to today under the same name, Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucked over the Austrians so badly. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 the whole thing is here. It's great. It would be really hard to do with all the different pictures and stuff. Um, but we all, this group text message, which I call the War Journal, did very, very well. And it continues on um, to when the Russians and I uh, teamed up after our leaving the Austrians in the dust. Um, we partied it up in Constantinople. <laughs> if you're ever curious what the hell I am talking about, the game's called Napoleon Europe. It's a wonderful game uh, that takes the entire goddamn weekend. <laughs> You thought Monopoly took a long time. Napoleon Europe, uh, like I said, is the risk, but it's a lot bigger. Um, mm -hmm. It's seven countries, each person taking care of it. And mm -hmm. we, we would, back in high school, we would get so into this that my friends would come over Friday night, and we would start playing, and we'd play until like three in the morning, and then they would go home, and we'd eat breakfast the next morning. Uh, and my friends would arrive around 10, um, and my brother and I would be eating cereal, over, looking over the map board, coming up with our plans. And our forces would get so big that these tiny soldiers would eventually get too large for the actual map. And so my parents sometimes would wake up around 3 a.m., like, what's going on? And it's me and my brother, like, rolling dice down the hallway because we're using the actual floor tiles as the spaces because it's too big for a little board. <laughs> And so 
I haven't been able to play this game since I've come to um, to California, with the exception of this one. This is why is the two group text message because this was a nationwide game. I'd be playing here as the Brit the British, and the game had to take place via text message because there's some people playing in Florida. There was one guy and in, um, mm -hmm. in uh, somewhere else, and so it all took place over that. And so I was very glad that despite the digital error and not having actually write it down in a book, a digital war journal can still exist. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> a little journey we've been on together. I really appreciate that you guys have, have chosen to invest your time um, tonight. I know that you could be drinking um, $12 cocktails, but for some reason you chose to come to a place with free beer and wine. That's odd. Um, but I appreciate it deeply and from the heart. Uh, here we are at the end, at the end of all things, at the apocalypse, and for some reason you chose to be in East Hollywood. I'm not sure if that's the right decision, but it's one that you made and you're going to live with it and you might die with it. I appreciate the, that you guys have chosen to be here um, where there is no parking. Thank you for coming. Uh, the next person coming up to the stage is w certainly one of my one of my favorite humans um, that I've seen perform a few times in in the comedy scene, and who asked to come here tonight and do some jokes for you guys. Uh, you may know him from a show called Power Violence. You may also know him from a Hulu cartoon that is equally excellent called Stone Quacker. Coming up next, guys, it's Whitmer Thomas. Give it up. Thank you. Hey, this is cool. Thank you all for having me tonight. As a kid, I kept a diary. Uh, probably since I was 11 or 12. Um, and whenever you asked, you said, you know, this is about, you know, go through your diary and find some stuff. I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I went through all of my diaries. I've kept every one of them, every notebook I've ever had. You know, there's a ton of them. There's like 50 of them. And uh, I just found that uh, it's none of them are funny. I was just a really good writer. Uh, I was probably better then than I am now. Uh, there was nothing comical. It was like, this is very well written and interesting and dark. And sad, and you know, I was going through a lot back then, and uh, it was sad, you know. And I thought, nah, I'm probably not gonna read any of this stuff. A lot of it had to do, you know, classic high school stuff, Ashes, Winter Lasting Forever, just any Game of Thrones title for any episode is exactly what I was writing about. Um, I was in a lot of bands growing up, uh, and uh, you know. Once my I was always in like a punk band. That was kind of my uh, life. And um, then a girl broke up with me in the year 2003. And it was the first time I had ever really been heartbroken. And it was also at the same time that Dashboard Confessional released their first album. <laughs> it was perfect. Uh, so I really transitioned nicely into that genre. And every song that I wrote about and was I would write to uh, his melody, and uh, I was trying to go through lyrics to maybe read some funny ones, but yet 
they are not funny. They are just really good, and I didn't want to stand up here and brag. <laughs> but I will... The style of song was always, like, you know, that style, like, um, like the transition of me singing in my, all these bands. I, I wrote a song that went like this. It went, uh, this is not an exaggeration, and this is how I would sing back then, too. Maybe some of you can relate. Uh, but it went like this. Hey, Ashley, don't you leave me. We'll go out back and we'll count the stars. Hey, Ashley, don't you leave me. I'll go and steal my drunk mom's car. So I was very, like, heavily into that. That style, that genre. Uh, the girl, I changed her name. Her name was really Rachel. Uh, Rachel Hertz. And it was funny because every time I would write Hertz in my notebook, I would spell it like she spelled her last name. Uh, so like, it, the Hertz, the pain Hertz. And I would spell it H-U-R-T-Z. You know, like the rental car. Um, but uh, I grew up in Alabama and... The the kind of dashboard world, that emo, like, pop-punk kind of thing, never, it wouldn't come to Alabama. It was like, I was alone. I was the only one in my high school with a white belt, you know? And then something happened, which was uh, I discovered Saddle Creek Records, Bright Eyes. This is after... You know, that whole emo thing, I, like, transitioned into metal. Full-on, like, metal, screamo, kind of, like, screamo, then eventually, like, hardcore, just, like, grindcore metal. I was in a band called Say Your Last, dot, dot, dot. And if people making flyers did not add in the ellipses, I would get upset with them. I'd be like, dude, you gotta put in that dot, 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 man, because you don't know what comes next. <laughs> We had song, a song called Mourned But Never Missed. We had a song called To Die For. We had a song called A Heart for the Arsonist. <laughs> and I sang like... <laughs> but I would sing like... <laughs> the Ashes of Autumn. You know, stuff like that. Um, so that happened. And then I discovered Saddle Creek Records and Bright Eyes and found that, like, oh, this is music I can relate to, because this guy's from Omaha, and he was singing about, you know, being in the nowhere town. (laughs) And I loved it, you know? And uh, so from then on, I I started a band called Morning... If if MySpace still exists, you could go listen to all of these bands. But Morning Routine was the band, and it was (laughs) M-O-U-R. And um, all of those songs, that's when, you know, my writing was just, ah, the best. (laughs) But, so, at this time, I had met this girl, you know, all through high school, in this band, and in a bunch of bands, we were changing, I was, I was obsessed with music, and that was what I wanted to do, you know, and I didn't care so much about high school, I wasn't active, but then, before senior year of high school, I met a girl, uh, who was kind of like a prep. She was like, kind of like a prom queen, you know what I mean? And um, 
I was physically peaking. Um, <laughs> and she took notice. <laughs> One night when we were swimming in uh, Alabama under the stars. And uh, we totally like fell in love hard that summer before senior year. And, uh, and it was great. It was like the most romantic time of my entire life. And I've never felt more alive. And then, um, then we went to high school. And um, we went back to school senior year, you know. Um, and people were not cool with her, Shannon was her name, dating me. Uh, it was really weird for everybody because I was like, I wasn't uncool, but everybody kind of thought of me as like, that fuck that guy, he's like stuck up or whatever. Because I just wasn't part of school, you know what I mean? I didn't care about anything other than music. Um, and so... Shannon had a real hard time. She was very conflicted about what to do with me and our relationship. Like, when her parents didn't like me, because before me, Shannon dated Gary Peed, and Gary Peed's dad owned Peed Construction, which was the biggest construction company in our county. And he was really wealthy, and Shannon's parents wanted her to stay in Alabama, marry Gary, and, like, you know, just exactly the movie The Notebook. And I was this weirdo. Both my parents were nobodies and like in jail or whatever, and I was just like this broke kid, you know. And I remember I had I had always wanted to come to Hollywood, and at this point, like it, I was for sure gonna come. I knew I was. I like right when I graduated, that was my plan. And I told Shannon, uh, as soon as I graduate college, uh, high school, I'm gonna move right to Hollywood. And uh, she told her parents, and the first night I ever met her dad. Um, he was leaning against the dishwasher and uh, she goes, uh, hey, uh, dad, this is uh, Wit, uh, my new boyfriend. And her dad goes, so you're the one filling my daughter's head with all these ideas of going out to Hollywood and becoming a movie star. And I was like, I, no joke. I looked at him and I said, no, sir, those are your daughter's own ideas. <laughs> There was not applause that night. <laughs> so anyway, Shannon asked me to homecoming because um, I wasn't going to go. Like, you know, she knew the only way she could get me to go is if she asked me. So uh, I went and uh, I knew that she was, she had been conflicted and distant about this whole Gary thing. And uh, we went and... Um, uh, you know, it was it was really tough because the whole time Gary was there, but he wasn't with anybody. He didn't bring a date, and um, she, I could see that she was like looking at him, like missing him. You know, and uh, I I wasn't cool. You know, like I just wasn't a cool kid in in that world. Um, and I was cool to people who had like straightened bangs. You know, <laughs> so. I, um, afterwards my friend was having a party and Shannon and I, the, the place we met was this condo. We lived in a place called uh, Pleasure Island, Alabama, which is a tourist town on, down in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, we'd swim in this pool called Paradise Isle, which was a condo that we would break into. She was like, okay, well I gotta clean up because she's part of the SGA. And uh, she had to clean up the dance. And she's like, I got to clean up the dance, but uh, meet me at the pool. Um, 
and then we can walk over to the party. I was like, cool. So I went and I parked at the pool and um, she just never came. And then it, it was like an hour, wasn't there. I'd call her house, she didn't want an answer. And then I waited like three hours there and I had my notebook and so I wrote a beautiful song. Um, and uh, um, I went home and uh, she didn't talk to me again. She never broke up with me and she just didn't like speak to me, you know? So fast forward a few months to the end of the school year. Um, we had this big talent show and I was like, I'm clearly more talented than anybody in our school. Uh, I'll just enter this thing and, and sing my song that I wrote about Shannon that one night. Um, so uh, I did. I, I entered it. I had to submit my lyrics because <laughs> they didn't want me cursing. So I did, and I submitted the lyrics, and the teachers were like, wow, that's very impressive. Um, <laughs> then I go, and... Uh, I walk out and uh, I I had written on my shirt that night like very passive aggressively go chase with an exclamation point because this other kid who was a musician named Chase uh, who would always win the talent show covering Crash by Dave Matthews Band <laughs> was in it and I was just like this guy's gonna fucking win anyway uh, so I went in and I said uh, you know I walked up on stage and my whole school was there and I was like, um, okay, hello. And I remember saying, uh, this is a sad song, and uh, it'd be real nice if everybody just smiled while I played it. <laughs> and no joke, the whole school smiled. And uh, I started playing it, and I remember the song was called, like, A Girl I Used to Know or something. Like an Elliot Smith ripoff song. I played it, and halfway through, everybody started clapping, like, like, you know, a beat, you know? And by the end, everybody was just, like, stood up and was cheering, clapping, and Gary stayed seated. And he was sitting next to Shannon. They had started dating again. I forgot to say that. Gary stayed seated. It was just like this. And I was looking at him the whole time I was singing it. <laughs> and then that night at Jacob Curitan's house, he had a house on the lagoon, I was sitting out on the dock by myself, which is what I would do at every party. Uh, and uh, by choice, I probably could have had a lot of friends, you know. Uh, and um, I hear just walking up to the end of the dock, and it was Shannon. And uh, she was like, um, that was a really nice song that you played tonight. I was like, thanks. And she goes, so are you still moving away in a few weeks? And I was like, yeah. And uh, she goes, cool. I just don't know what to do about Gary. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, I just don't really like him, you know. Probably going to break up with him. And I was like, oh, cool. And then um, we just sat there all night talking, you know, about uh, how she wanted to be on Friends. She wasn't very deep. But uh, <laughs> I was like, I want to be like in a Gus Van Sant movie. I want to be like River Phoenix. And she'd be like, I want to be like Rachel from Friends. Um, so she um, 
she broke up with Gary the next day, and we went on a boat ride together and fell back madly in love. And uh, we're on and off in a pretty serious, committed relationship until like two years ago. <laughs> um, and then we just kind of broke up because she met a baseball player who was professional. And she lived in Chicago, and I was like, it just makes more sense for you to go that way, I bet. Um, give me some time. Um, you know what I mean? Maybe I'll like, eventually, you guys will be at some baseball game, and I'll sing the national anthem. and. Instead, just sing Girl I Used to Know. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's my story. Okay, thank you. That's our show, everybody. Give it up for Percy Speed. Give it up for everybody who's come up here and bear their souls. Thank you very much. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Oh, you guys make me so moderately happy. I'm sure I can hold on to this for like several days before I get disappointed again. Uh, I I love that. You guys did a great job. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, I guess at this point, we're going to play more music. You're welcome to keep drinking and have food because uh, you don't have to stay here, but you can never go home. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Personally Speaking is recorded live in East Hollywood every month by Matt Rains and hosted by myself, Christiana Morganroth. If you're interested in performing, attending, or just chatting, reach out to us at personallyspeakingshow at gmail.com. Drive safe. We'll see you next month.